0: Let's go directly into the meditation. And for this session, you'll want to be uh, seated the whole, for the whole session.
1: Yuki nuptam, Sam, Bema, Gesa, Dombo Yamzen, Joki, Mudu, Bema, Juni, Shesu, Kodu, Kando, Mamber, Koki, Jesu, Dabtu, Chinge, Lapche, Uru Pema sidi um um orgay yuki nukjam san perma gesa dombolah yamzin shoki mudunye perma june Shesuda da kodu kando Keki <speaking> Jesu <in foreign> Datu ki Jenge <language> Lapchi Su Guru Perma Sidi Ung Mogi Yuki Nuptam Zan Gesa Dombola Yamzin Choki <foreign> Ungudu <language> Pema Jone Gesuda, Kardu Kando Mambu Ko, Ke Ki Gesuda Dukhi, Guru Pema Siri um. Om 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 Mahum, then the Buddha Pemesideh Om. Now, in order
0: to receive the Four Empowerments, visualize the crown of head of Padmasambhava the white syllable Om. Imagine rays of light, white light emerging from this syllable, coming to the crown of your head, permeating your whole body receiving the Vasa environment, purifying all negative imprints and obscurations of the body. From the red syllable, ah, at the Guru's throat, imagine red rays of light emerging, striking your own throat, purifying all negative imprints and obscurations pertaining to speech, receiving the secret empowerment. From the syllable whom, at the guru's heart imagine blue light rays, emerging from his heart striking your own heart purifying all negative imprints and obscurations of the mind and receiving the wisdom, gnosis, empowerment. From the syllable at the guru's navel chakra, imagine red rays of light emerging Braking your own navel chakra, purifying negative imprints and obscurations of the body, speech, and mind altogether, and receiving the word and power. In the future when we do this practice in the mornings you may receive these four empowerments while you're reciting the Vajra Guru Mantra. At the conclusion invite the Guru, Padmasambhava, indivisible from your own Guru, invisible from the mind of the Buddha, your own personal deity or Yidam. Imagine the Guru coming to the crown of your head diminishing in size facing in the same direction as yourself. Blissfully melting into light and flowing down through the central channel, the avatuti, to your heart, where the Guru's body, speech, and mind become indivisible from your own and remain in a state of total ease and relaxation, and that awareness of the indivisibility of your own body, speech, and mind with that of the Guru Padmasambhava. Now we conclude the section on the transitional phase of living in the Vajra Essence, with the meditation shared there by Padmasambhava by way of Dujumlingla. And the text reads It is important that you occasionally train in the path of transference, or poa, the transference of consciousness, in the following way. Ah. Imagine a white syllable, A, ah, on the crown of your head. Immeasurable masses of light emanate from it. In the actual self-appearing great Buddha field of akanishtha vast as the absolute space of phenomena, Beautifully arranged and adorned is a great palace. From an A, in its center appears the original ground, Dharmakaya, Samantabhadra, indigo, like a lapis lazuli mountain. Naked and unadorned, he sits cross-legged upon a lotus and moon. His hands are in the mudra of meditative equipoise and he blazes with the light of the signs and symbols of enlightenment. The display of myriad Buddha-fields are all presented in this kaya, this embodiment of Samadabhadra. Like a dream instantly dissolving into the space of pristine awareness, your appearances and mental processes, being of one taste, are indivisibly transferred to the absolute space of the great bliss of Akhenishta. So I'll give a bit of commentary. Imagine that your environment here, wherever you are, your body, your mind, all of these ordinary appearances constitute the world with which you're familiar and which we we ever so easily reify, as if a dream is coming into an end and the whole dream dissolves right into the space of awareness. Imagine that the dream of this world, empty of inherent nature, Dissolves into this appearance of akanishtha this Buddha field, the field of Samantabhadra. who is none other than the embodiment of your own pristine awareness. In other words, imagine this world with which you're familiar dissolves and utterly transforms into this pure realm, here and now. With the syllable A, the three realms of all physical worlds and their sentient inhabitants dissolve into that Buddha field, becoming indivisible with it. Uttering A, recognize this and bring it to mind. Uttering A, imagine that you acquire great confidence. Commentary. The syllable A is a symbol of negation in all Indo-European languages. Sanskrit, as well as English, and so on. It's a symbol of negation of inherent nature in this context, the emptiness of all phenomena. So mentally recite, ah, ah, ah. And as you recite this syllable, again, imagine this entire universe that you feel yourself to inhabit, all dissolving into this Buddha field of akanishtha utterly transmuting the entire universe, all the sentient beings within it, as well, of course, as your own self, your body, mind, your very identity. the text to the east imagine the vast and spacious Buddha field of Abhirati filling the entire sky without leaving any space white and luminous like a full moon the color of conch commentary east is a direction right in front of you as you now imagine yourself to be there in that central Buddha field Akanishta, out in this vast space in front of you, to the east. Imagine this derivative, Buddha field of Abirati, the Buddha field of Akshobhya, resplendently white, radiant white in color, with a palace in its center, and in the center of the palace.
1: Buddha Akshobya,
0: the embodiment of mirror-like primordial consciousness. text. To the south imagine the vast and spacious Buddha field of Srimat blazing throughout the entire sky earth and everything in between like the color of gold. Commentary. The south is a direction to your right. Whatever you're facing it's to your right. This vast Buddha field of Srimat the field of Ratna the embodiment of the primordial consciousness of equality. Again, imagine the vastness, gold in color, the palace, the Buddha in the center. As vast as you can imagine, text. To the west, imagine the vast and spacious Buddha field of Sukhavati, red like the color of ruby. So the west is the direction behind you. This radiant red Buddha field of Sukhavati, the Buddha field of Amitabha, the embodiment of the primordial consciousness of discernment. text, to the north imagine the buddha field of kama prapurana like the color of emerald, with dimensions equal to the absolute space of phenomena. This buddha field to your left. The buddha field of Amoga City, the primordial consciousness, all accomplishing text, imagine yourself as a Bodhisattva, imbued with the power and might of primordial consciousness. Starting from the east, imagine that you proceed to each of these Buddha fields like an arrow shot by a powerful archer. And imagine that you thrice circumambulate the the Tathagatas, who are the lords of the Buddha families. You make prostrations and immeasurable offerings. And you receive empowerment, your teachings and receive oral transmissions and blessings. So, commentary imagine the two, one by one, to the east, the south, west, and north. You project yourself as this bodhisattva, come into the presence of the Buddha in each of these four realms. any of the visualization has just explained. Your finish be. Imagine as we continue with the text, imagine that you then return to the Buddha field of Ganavyuha in the center, another name here for Akanishtha, where the Dhammakaya, the Buddha of the original ground, is present in the space in front of you. Put in the center is, as we go to commentary, of course, the Samatha Ganavyuha view has a pure realm of Vairochan, the embodiment of the primordial consciousness of the absolute space of phenomena or the Dhammadhatu. You return to the center. There too, you may offer circumambulations, make offerings, and imagine there too that you receive. They're all transmissions, empowerments, teaching. Release the visualization and for a moment simply rest in the open expanse of awareness, awareness illuminating itself, resting in its own place. Conclude with the text. These are the teachings called transferring your own appearances to a Buddha field and entering therein. In the intermediate period, when you recognize that you have died, simply by bringing this to mind, the appearances of the intermediate period will shift to those of a Buddha field, and you will achieve liberation. That concludes the teachings on the transitional phase of living. Let's continue practicing quietly just for a few minutes, resting the awareness in its own place and maintaining the peripheral awareness of the in and outflow of the breath, noting the duration of each one. In the practice of lucid dreaming, which has a lot in common with, but certainly is not identical with, dream yoga, kind of like elementary dream yoga, uh, a core ability that has to be cultivated, otherwise you really can't do it, is what I would call prospective memory, or resolve, future-oriented resolve, and that is as you're falling asleep, you have you develop a strong resolve. To remember something in the future, and for example, I'll, I'll try to be brief. Our time here is very short, but you look for anomalies. As you're falling asleep, you look for anomalies. That tonight, after I've fallen asleep, if I see anything out of out of the ordinary, like maybe I'm not in Phuket. If you're here, I'm someplace else, or anything else. You see people flying, or anything like that, or if you see one of your dream signs, but you look, you look to see if. For a sign that you might in fact be dreaming, and then you do a state check. We'll talk about this later, but you do a state check to determine with certainty whether or not you're dreaming. And then once you're dreaming, once you have recognized that you're dreaming, oh, then you start dream yoga, or you start the secular practice of exploring the world of lucid dreaming, which is, of course, utterly fascinating. But it's all about prospective memory. And when in speaking a bit poetically or how you metaphorically, when, as you're falling asleep, when you've died from the waking state, from being in this physical world of Phuket or wherever people in the podcast are listening from, when it, you know, speaking just loosely, when you've died from this realm and you've been reborn for a very brief rebirth in a dream, right? Because that's kind of what it's like. You, you don't even have your same body anymore. Not, you don't even necessarily look the same. You don't even have necessarily the same gender. There's no guarantee you'll even be a human being in your dream. I mean, really, you've kind of died from this physical, corporeal existence. And now you're in this other realm, right? This dream realm, this dream reality. So the first thing is to recognize that you have shifted the domain of reality that you were experiencing, recognizing that. And then, then start your practice, right? Well, in a very, very similar way. When we do literally die from this world, the continuum of consciousness continues on, and we find ourselves in this bardo of becoming, this intermediate period or intermediate state. The first thing in that bardo of becoming, or transitional phase of becoming, the most important thing, first of all, is to recognize that you're dead. Uh, That's not necessarily so obvious. right? It apparently happens many, many times that during the early period, the er early, early phase of this bardo, you think you're still alive. And you may actually see people that you knew in your past life. And as in the movie, The Sixth Sense, uh, you may sit down and have conversations with people. And they don't answer. They're so rude. And then you see them maybe even talking about your death. And you find, wait, 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 I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And they all ignore you. And so it gets more and more disconcerting until finally, sooner or later, better sooner than later, you recognize, aha, uh, I'm dead, and this has to be the bardo. And so, as the text said there, as soon as you recognize you're dead, then you have this as a possibility. This is your backup plan, right? Rather than just kind of cruising through and being lucid in, in the in the the bardo, which is enormously comparable or analogous to being lucid in the dream. In fact, in traditional dream yoga practice, this is the primary reason for practicing dream yoga. It's a dress rehearsal for being dead and utterly transmuting your whole experience in the bardo to your great advantage and achieving liberation in the bardo. And so here is a very, very simple practice. Once you've recognized that you're dead, then recognize that your, your existence there in the bardo, there, it's not material. Your body, you seem to have a body, you can touch it and so forth in the bardo, but your body has no materiality to it, right? It has no molecules to it. And so you're in a different dimension of existence, which is malleable, which is malleable like a dream. This waking experience for us, until you enter into relativistic psychology, you know, as long as you have a pretty ordinary mind, this reality is not very malleable, right? If you like it to be sunny right now, well, good luck with that, you know? Probably you can't do anything at all. And that's just true for many things. You can't shift your health. You can't just say, I'm tired of being sick, be gone. You know, So this is the disempowered mind, the non-relativistic mind with no samadhi. Then we're kind of stuck with what we've got and we try to manage it here and there, here and there, but there's not a whole lot we can do. right? Whereas in a dream, once you become lucid, well, the limits there are only the limits of your imagination. That's Those are the only limits on your ability to trans- transmute, to transform the dream, including just making it vanish, like poof, and just having it dissolve into the substrate, really, just the only limits are your own imagination. Right? And so, comparably, when you're in the bardo, in this non-material realm of the bardo, this intermediate phase that hasn't locked into, it's almost like a stem cell. The whole existence there is like a stem cell. It hasn't mute. It hasn't gotten configured to be a human realm or a deva realm or a prato realm or anything else. It's a floater. It's waiting like in Chinese checkers, you remember where the 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 ball rolls around and then falls into a hole? You've all seen that, right? Well, you're kind of rolling around waiting to fall into a hole. Oh, you're going to be human. Or you're going to be animal. Or you're going to be deva, whatever. But you're none of the above right now. You're in flux. This is really a transitional phase. Because you actually don't belong right now in any of the six realms of existence, which means potentially you can go anywhere. You can just drop into, propelled by your karma. You can drop in anywhere, right? Or... You can become lucid and say, I don't think I want to drop in at all. And he just gave you the key. Imagine dissolving, you're in the bardo. Imagine then dissolving everything there in the bardo into emptiness and then transmuting it. You can do this if you're lucid. There's no reason objectively why you can't do that. right? Then just transmute your whole experience there in the bardo by the power of your imagination, which you remembered while you were still alive, on this date, remember that, and then transmute it, and just transmute where you are into this akanishtha this pure realm of samatabhadra and then each of the ones to the east, the south, the west, the north, and then perform these practices. He so said, then you may be liberated right there. You have actually shifted your whole locale, your environment, into a Buddha field, and then you may become Buddha, enlightened right there. So, even if one doesn't have full confidence in this, like total belief, I absolutely believe it, why not try it? What do you have got to lose? Why not give it the benefit of the doubt? Why not say, hey, I don't know. The scientists sure as heck don't know. If you're in the Bardo and you did have a cell phone that could phone your nearest scientist, say, what do I do now? They'll they'll say, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't see that coming. Find somebody else, wrong number, and don't call again. <laughs> we didn't want to hear this. you know. So you call the wrong number. They're not going to help you out there. But for people who've explored the Bardo in detail, come back and report it on it in detail, and there are many. They just don't happen to be scientists. If you want to know about molecules, DNA, cells, asteroids, galactic clusters, supernovas, photosynthesis, and so forth, Don't ask a Buddhist, unless it's a Buddhist who happens to be a botanist, zoologist, and so forth and so on. Don't ask, you're going to the wrong place. If you have your problem with your teeth, don't go to a llama. (laughs) Probably will just say, what are you coming to me for? Wrong number. The dentist is down there, that's where I go. I take refuge in the local dentist right there. Why don't you, you know, screw your head on tight and go to the dentist, you idiot. What are you coming to a llama for? And don't ask me to do a mo." Oh man, people are overusing mo's big time, I think. Oh, Lama, what dentist shall I go to for my dent for my tooth? Oh, get a grip. (laughs) So, final point before we take something I find quite fascinating. I received on a number of occasions teachings on the final phase of Dzogchen called the direct crossing over into spontaneous actualization. I won't speak about it in any length at all. I will simply say this. That the practice entails no visualization, any more than texture, the cutting through to the original purity of pristine awareness. There's no visualization there at all. It's just being present, right? So you don't visualize Rikpa and then somehow by visualizing Rikpa have a placebo effect and, and realize Rikpa. That's not the way it is. Rikpa is not some little fabrication of your intellect, right? Then you somehow realize by believing it. It's beyond all Rikpa. Pristine awareness is beyond all conceptual frameworks. So you can't be tricky and imagine it, and then you know realize what you've imagined. But what's quite interesting about the tutgel, this this tutgel of the direct crossing over, is once again there's no visualization. Uh, as such, you would have to say really there's nothing really Buddhist about the practice. That is, you look what are you doing? I mean, you okay? There's postures and gazes, but you can put anybody can do those postures. It's not really a Buddhist posture. The gaze is not a Buddhist gaze, and then you do the practice. And there's really just no, there's no element of culture in it. Like, oh, this is 15th century India. Oh, this is 19th century Tibet. Oh, this is whatever. There's, there's no culture in it at all. Zero. You're not visualizing anything, so then you're not really putting anything into it. It is simply, it is being attentive and seeing what comes to mind. And what comes to mind are these spontaneous displays of the five Buddha fields and the five Buddhas, I'll say that much. I think I haven't broken my samaya. What I find so remarkable about this is they're coming up spontaneously. Not because you're a good Buddhist and you've learned all the different colors and hand emeralments and so forth and so on. They're just coming up spontaneously, right? There really does seem to be about these five Buddha fields, and each one of them, of course, is is an archetypal embodiment of the corresponding facet. That's the best term, I think. Facet of primordial consciousness. So primordial consciousness is but not by nature in globules. That's why I don't, really, I don't really like primordial wisdom or five primordial consciousnesses, as if there are five different things, like five people in a room. There's primordial consciousness. It's yeshe. Right? But then we do see the five facets of primordial consciousness. I would say very similar too. Why like to White light that goes through a prison. There's simply facets of the one light that is there. Manifesting as prim- mirror like primordial consciousness, Akshobhya, to the east. Primordial consciousness of equality, um, Ratna Sambhava, to the south. Primordial consciousness of discernment in Sukhavati, Amitabha, to the west. Prim- the all accomplishing primordial consciousness of Amogha City, emerald green in color. These are archetypal, but really seem to be. I mean, I'm convinced, you don't have to be, but I'm convinced, these are transcultural, archetypal, transcendent embodiments or personifications of these facets of the one central primordial consciousness of the absolute space of phenomena, Dhammadhatu. Right. So there is one, but the, the manifestations, the effulgences, derivative infulgences in these four facets coming out of the white in the center. And so what he's having us visualize here is not, frankly, I'm just going to say it. You don't have to believe anything I say. I'm going to say it. This is not a Tibetan Buddhist visualization. Tibetan Buddhist means it's Tibetan and it's Buddhist. And Tibet wasn't always Buddhist, and Buddhism wasn't always Tibetan. It became Tibetan Buddhism when it went to India and got acculturated, right? Then it became Tibetan Buddhism, like Zen Buddhism, Chinese Buddhism, Thai Buddhism. Buddhism came and then assimilated and took on a Thai aspect, which is perfect. And now Buddhism, in various ways, is taking on a certain modern aspect. That's what it should do, so it feels at home. But this is not a Tibetan Buddhist visualization, I will say. It's something deeper. It's transcultural, trans-time and space. It really does seem to be utterly primordial. So final point, in this regard, I spoke at quite some length about faith yesterday, and I'll make only a brief, re- brief addition today. And that is when we look at religious faith, whether it's Christian, it's Hindu, Buddhist, and so forth, when we look at religious faith, overall, primarily, I think, and I, I'm, as I am a religious scholar, so I want to be careful, not make silly oversimplifications, but the faith does tend to be in something other. In Jesus. you're not. Je- if you're a Christian, you're not Jesus. But you have faith in Jesus. You have faith in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They're not you. You're not the Trinity. You're not Jesus. right? You're not Abraham. You, you have faith in the prophets as well. You're not them. They're someone else. And heaven is not you. Heaven is a place you hope to go to in the future. You have faith in that. You have faith in many things that are outside of you. Right? And There's nothing wrong with that. I, I, don't, I don't disparage that whatsoever. So people have different faiths, different religions have different faiths. They envision the deity, heaven, the afterlife, and so forth in various ways, but it's faith in something outside of themselves, and the information comes from outside, from a prophet, from the Son of God, from the Bible, from the Quran, from the Bhagavad Gita, what have you. And of course, the same thing occurs in Buddhism. People read the sutras, they hear teachings from, the, from, from their lamas, And they hear about Sukhavati, they hear about this, they hear about that. And it can really be very, very similar. Very, very similar. Religious faith can look a lot, very similar. From Christianity to Buddhism to Hinduism to even Taoism and so on. So there's that type of faith. And likewise in science, not the same, but not entirely different. Once again we're having faith in someone else, that is, do you, do you have confidence in the last, let's say, 400 years of rigorous scientific research and the many textbooks that have come out of that of consensual knowledge about geology, about astronomy, DNA, and so forth and so on? Do you, do you have some confidence in these people? You weren't there. You didn't do it. These are other people. But do you think they're just a bunch of bozos coming up and just coming up with one crazy idea after another and not all agreeing because they're stupid? Or do you feel they did really rigorous research with good technology, a lot of high-level peer review, and came out with consensual knowledge that's worthy of deep respect. Well, you you know where I stand. I have a lot of respect for science. Like the scientists themselves, I do not believe it's infallible knowledge, but I think there's a great great deal of very valuable knowledge there that deserves respect. And so then, likewise, faith in your professors, your universities, your your laboratories, and so forth. So these are all, again, confidence in something outside of yourself. Outside of yourself. And the same thing, of course, can occur in Buddhism. My Lama's over there, the teachings, there's the text there there's, the, there, there's there, there. So all of that has its place. But what I find enormously interesting, and I mean, really just it's more than interesting, it's a very weak adjective, um, profoundly compelling, and that's still too weak, is when we come to Dzogchen. Clearly, there can be faith in one's Lama. There's a role for that, and that Lama is somebody else than you. It's and that person over there is maybe a Tibetan, maybe a Mongolian, maybe Canadian, whatever. So that's someone else, and you're reading the Dzogchen. So clearly, there's something outside there. But the core faith, the core faith in Dzogchen practice, is not in someone outside of you. In fact, when I, was, when I received the empowerment from Gantan Tuguramache, just a few weeks ago, you were there, yeah? He said, here's your one samaya. People were wondering, oh, people, a lot of people were writing, if I come, what's the commitment? What's the commitment? I don't want to take on more commitments, you know, <laughs> freaking out, ring a bell. And so they didn't want to get in over their head, which we totally respected. And so, what's the commitment now that we've received this empowerment? He said, okay, one samaya. Right, Jeannie? One samaya. Don't look for Buddhists outside yourself. The only samaya. So, where's your faith then? In the guru, maybe different gender, same gender, older, younger than yourself, or somebody from Bhutan, then you're looking outside yourself. Tsa! <laughs> you just broke your samaya. <laughs> your faith has to be in yourself. And so, when we hear these teachings on Samantabhadra, hear the teachings on pristine awareness, these Buddha fields, they're talking about ourselves they're telling us something about ourselves that we may not have known. So where does the faith come from? Because of the charisma, the the purity, the compassion, the wisdom of the Lama you see over there? You can if you like, but that's not the faith of Dzogchen. The faith in Dzogchen is really fundamentally, the faith is coming from the depths of your own existence, and it's faith in itself. It's the faith stemming from pristine awareness, affirming in its own existence and its own effulgences, its own displays. So the faith in Dzogchen is autobiographical. It's self-referential. And I have some experience of that. Really, because this is what triggered me, and many of you know the story, and I'm going to make it really short, we're out of time. But the first book I ever read, I ever encountered on Tibetan Buddhism, was on Dzogchen, 20 years old, I had virtually no background in Buddhism. Pick up the Tibetan Book of the Great Liberation, teaching it by Padmasambhava. Read through it. Understood almost nothing. Really, it's just totally over my head. And by the time I finished reading the book, I thought that's what I wanted to dedicate the rest of my life to. At least. This life, future lives, whatever. But that's it. That's it. Now that was not coming out of my intellect. Because that just would have been stupid blind faith, and I don't think I'm stupid, and I just don't have a, I don't have much ability for blind faith. It wasn't that that I found oh this is so compelling, this is really interesting. Yes, I definitely want to follow that. It wasn't. It was just it appeared it, it spoke to it, resonated with something inside me that was just beyond the intellect, but it was deeper than the intellect. Philosophers change their views. Hillary Putnam was adopted one view, then another view in the latter part of life. Wittgenstein one view then later Wittgenstein scientist shift you know perspective and then so Einstein's first paper was that his his undergraduate thesis when he when he it was on a way of measuring the ether <laughs> that was his that was his first research project how to measure the ether he's most famous for completely demolishing any notion of the ether with his special relativity theory so yeah Everybody believed in the ether when he was finishing his undergraduate degree. And in 1905, he blew it out of the water. It was no survivors. You know, the ether was completely blown away by him. But he started by, here's how you can measure the ether. You know? So scientists change, philosophers change, and so forth. Because their faith, the object of faith differs. But here, the origin of the faith, the object of the faith, are the same. And it's outside of time. It's outside of culture. So that's the type of faith. It's faith in yourself. That there's more to you than meets the eye. More to you than your gender, your personal history, your your personality. There's more to you than that. That's not insignificant, but there's more to you than that. There's more to you than the substrate consciousness. And you haven't known yourself, though you've cut through, let alone your body and ordinary mind, cut through the substrate consciousness. It's only when you've cut through that that you actually come to know who you are, and always have been. It's not somebody you become, always have been. So, therefore, it said there's one fundamental difference between Buddhas and sentient beings, unenlightened sentient beings. Buddhas know who they are. essential beings don't. So, this is really all about knowing who we are. It's that simple. And having faith. But the faith doesn't come from the intellect. It doesn't come from learning. This type of faith. It's not like the ordinary religious faith. It's certainly not like scientific faith. Not religious, nor scientific, nor philosophical. Something transcending all three. There we are. Something like that. So let's continue
1: practicing.